Lily goes, do you know what I think about when, when I hear that song? And I was like, yeah, our wedding. And she's like, yeah, our wedding. I was like, I remember the song that was in our wedding. But that also means, that also means Todd, this song's old, man. Like, <laughs> we married... We married a little while, right? It's in the old bound book that smells funny. You know what I mean? It's in that. It's, it's real old. Um, which also reminded me, real quick, we turn to Acts 8, though. I'm going to tell you the story so we're not solely listening to this story. This morning, Asher came in and wanted to tell me a story, and then he wanted me to tell him a story. And so we've been trying to be better about like, um, like just telling a good narrative, right? Like I want him to be able to tell a good story just for storytelling's sake, just to be like a good storyteller because I think that's important and it's fun. And so, and, and Tobin too, but Tobin right now doesn't even listen to the story. He'll listen for a second and then he wants to like wrestle. So he doesn't care right now. But Asher was telling me a story and I said, well, what kind of story do you want from me? And he's like, about you. I was like, do you want me to tell you a story about when I met your mom? And he was like, when you met her? And I was like, yeah, I haven't always known her. And he's like, yes, tell it to me. And I realized, for a four-year-old, that's a very strange realization to be like, you didn't, oh, what? What? So I'm kind of telling him, and I'm realizing how much I'm changing the story, because it's hard, it's confusing to be like, no, I didn't want to meet your mom at first, or something, because I didn't know, I didn't, hadn't met her or anything, I was like, oh, I wasn't interested, and he was like, you didn't want to meet her? And I was like, no, I did, I didn't know her, it was before I knew her, so I'm trying to explain and then finally, I get to this random part, and I tell him, I was like, yeah, man, I even like, wore an ugly shirt. And he was like, what? why did you meet an ugly shirt for mama? Or why did you wear an ugly shirt? And I was like, I don't know, man. I was like tired, and I was a single guy, and I was like lonely, I guess, or something. And he was like, when you're lonely, you wear ugly shirts? And I was like, no. I mean, yes, probably, probably. Probably you do. But no, that's not what I'm trying to say. People with ugly shirts on aren't necessarily lonely, you know, it's just you don't like their shirt. So it ended up being this hilarious conversation this morning, and then I got to the part where I was like, oh, women's doing stickers. I was like, uh, I was like, yeah, man, and you, I mean, you should have seen what she was wearing. He's like, like, she had a pretty shirt? And I was like, yes, yes, that is what I mean. He was like, and you thought she was pretty? And I was like, oh, yeah, she was so pretty. He's like, so you liked her hair? And I was like, Yes, yes, that is exactly what I mean. Yes, that is all we need to discuss on that matter. And he was like, okay. But it was so confusing and funny this morning. Um, anyway, I just thought about that because we were talking about it. Anyway, enough of that. I'm confusing my son on what clothes to wear when he's feeling a certain way, I guess. <clears throat> um, let's do this. Let's look at Acts 8 again. And here's what we're going to do. We're going to read the passage Brian read last week. But this is not why we're doing that. I'm not reading through it again to say what I really think is important, that maybe he missed or something. We're not doing that, okay? We had planned for like a month and a half now <clears throat> to go through that passage. Um, Brian was going to teach through there, and then I was going to go through it. And, and what I want us to talk about today um, is important because of how many times it's going to present itself in Acts, but can be loaded because we're a church of a bunch of different faith traditions, right? Like, pretty sure... Me and like one other of you, or two, y'all two, probably grew up in a church similar to mine. That's pretty much it. And then the other ones are just this other array of different church backgrounds and experiences. So we're going to talk about baptism, which again, is going to be very different depending on how you grew up and how you've heard the stories or whatever else. But I just want us to openly discuss it because it's going to present itself a bunch of times in Acts from here on out. 
And the word baptizo in Greek is going to be all over the place. And it's going to talk about a bunch of different things as we go through this. Or not a bunch, a few different things as we walk through Acts. But I want us to talk about the Ethiopian and Philip. And I want us to work through what that meant to them and what that meant in history and what that means to us and how I feel like we as a church should present it to each other and how we should address it with each other. Does that make sense? Enough disclaimers for the day? No more needed? Okay, let's do it. All right, so let's get into Acts. My Bible closed. I'm going to read through the story again, um, just kind of hitting on some things that, that Brian discussed that I thought were awesome, and then we're going to get to uh, where we're going today. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, and this is in verse 26, okay? Angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. I love how Brian focused on that, that he was sent to a desert place, a dangerous even place, a barren place, um, a lonely place. Everyone wore ugly shirts there. Um, and a place that, that it would be weird to be sent to, okay? Um, one of the things I, I think, as you were, you were talking about that last week, I kept coming up in my head is this idea of Abraham leaving something he knew to an unknown something, right? Something familiar and comfortable. And uh, again, Philip was having lots of success in Samaria, you discussed. You did well kind of going through that background. And then, he's, and then this call is to leave success, leave um, ease, leave comfort, and, and he's about to have fame possibly there. Leave all that and go somewhere that is a desert place. And he goes there, and he rose and went, and there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, of the court, um, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship, and as he was returning, seated in his chariot, and was reading from the prophet Isaiah. So, did, did anyone take away from some things Brian talked about last week, or two weeks ago, that made it interesting that one of the first non-Jewish people, and Samaritans would have been non-Jewish people, but they had some sort of lineage and heritage there, that this first person was an Ethiopian person of very, in their minds, a very distant, right, culture, a very distant country, a very distant um, place, and then also a eunuch that couldn't be in the temple, right? Because of that. And actually on the court of a foreign power, which also would make this person incredibly unclean to a, a normal Jewish mind. The cultural Jewish mind would say, no, no, let's not take the gospel to this person. This person is on the court of a foreign power that probably worships foreign gods and has their own way. They obviously eat things that are unclean, say things that are unclean, do things that are unclean. He is also a eunuch, which makes him unable to be in the temple. And then also is is obviously not Jewish, in a very obvious way not Jewish. So this is not the person for which the gospel should readily be available to a normal Jewish culture. Not so with Philip, not so with the Holy Spirit, telling him to go to this person. Goes there, um, And as the Spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip, I love this too, just in my head. So Philip ran to the chariot, which if you're this guy in the chariot with all your court and everything, and then you have this 
guy just running beside you, that's kind of like a crazy person thing, right? You just, do you think he's going to get you? Is he smiling while he's running next to you? Just the whole idea is strange. It's like if Lily and I were driving through our neighborhood and all of a sudden we see someone running right beside us looking in our window. In my head is how I think about it. So it's a little strange, a little, little odd, a little outside the, hey, how are you? Can I talk to you for a second? <laughs> not, not the way. <clears throat> so he's running alongside him. Um, runs over to him, heard him reading Isaiah the prophet, and asked, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, how can I, unless someone guides me? And he said, uh, and he invited Philip to come and sit with him. Now this is the passage of scripture that he was reading. Like a sheep was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before his shear is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, About whom, I ask you, does this prophet say this? About himself or someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth and began with the scriptures. Beginning with the scriptures, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here is some water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded his chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water. Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more, and went on his way rejoicing. What an interesting, like, beautiful intersection of, of life here. So we get to the point where he explains Jesus to him, explains the gospel, beginning with the scriptures, starting, assuming, we assume that he started with Isaiah, with this passage, right? So starting with prophets, explaining Jesus was coming, begins to teach, talks about the servant Jesus coming, being the Messiah. And then at some point in that story, something in this, this Ethiopian eunuch just clicks and takes over and stirs his heart or something. They come to water, and he says, look, here's some water. What's preventing me from being baptized? And we have this word baptized. <clears throat> Does anyone know where that word comes from? Baptizo is what it is in Greek. Does anyone know what the word means? We talk about baptism like we're like, oh yeah, it's baptism. We know all about it, right? It's this religious thing that we do. And it all looks different in our heads, by the way. So my view of baptism is probably very different than, well, I know mine and Todd, if I say baptize, in Todd's head, his United Methodist upbringing vision is, is very different, having a baptism ceremony, right? Mine, growing up in a town of like 900 people, in rural East Texas, and my grandfather being extremely Baptist to the core and taking a class in college called Baptist History and Distinctives, which was the most boring class in the whole world. But having that class, my view and vision of baptism is very different than Todd's. It's different, right? But what does the word mean? Does anyone know? <clears throat> you can say if you know out loud. You can be loud about it. Well, just... No, we're going to go to that, though. Okay. But what does baptizo mean? To immerse. To immerse. Baptize simply means to immerse. So you, you wouldn't, you would like, seriously, and Greeks would know that word not in a spiritual context, necessarily. So like, you would baptizo your plate before you would eat. Like, you would immerse it in water if you had enough water. You would wash it, then you would eat off of it, right? You would, if you had 
a d- dirty shirt, because I'm going to keep going back to it, because you were lonely. No, if you have a dirty shirt and you need to wash it, if you have enough water, you would baptizo, but a different ending, you would baptizo the shirt, right? You would do that. You would conjugate it correctly, and then you would do that to the shirt, right? That is how that works, and you would clean it. So Greeks would understand this. It's not, this, this word didn't have to them, now there would be some spiritual significance, which we're going to get to, for even a normal Greek audience, but not necessarily. This wasn't a magical word to them. They would understand, right? They would understand that word. Um, but we, we go back and we have, we have baptizo first in the New Testament in what story? Do we know? What story do we have the first time bab- baptism or baptize is mentioned or even baptist as a hint? John, John the baptizer, right? And what is, what is the story? How does the story go? What is he doing? Explain John the baptizer, John the Baptist, whatever. Explain him. He was in the desert. He was super lonely. <laughs> <laughs> he had solitude, but he wasn't lonely. No, he wasn't. I'm kidding about what he was wearing. And, uh, <sighs> I'm playing. Call people to repent. Yes. For what? Yes. And he baptized people. Right. He wore camel's hair, ate locusts, was a wilderness person, much as, okay, speaking of, of that, a lot of writers think he might have been, have y'all heard of like the, the, well, we don't need to necessarily get into this. Okay, so Qumran scrolls, this plan, this people of Qumran were these like wilderness dwellers. They lived in caves and such to wait on the Messiah. They were like the primary people anticipating the Messiah. And we have lots of writings from Jewish and other historical accounts from the Qumran scrolls. It's like one of the oldest uh, actual writings we have in existence of like archaeology, right? So it's awesome. And they're intact and really well done. And they hid them in mountains and they hid them in caves all over this one area where they were like waiting for the Messiah. So a lot of people think that he was like of this, not necessarily of this lineage, but like following the same way as the people of Qumran. So he would like go in the wilderness and was literally anticipating and building anticipation for the Messiah, which he knew was coming soon. It was his cousin. He knew the Messiah was here even, right? That's, that was his deal. He was proclaiming, the Messiah's teachings are about to start. The Messiah, the Messiah is with us presently. And so part of building that anticipation and readying the people was to baptize them. Right? And so to ready the people for the coming of the Messiah, he was baptizing. Going around, teaching, baptizing people. Now, this necessarily... This wasn't, this wasn't necessarily a strange thing to do, to baptize. Otherwise, we'd have in Scripture that people would see him either pouring or dunking people in water and were very perplexed. Why is he doing that to people? What is he doing, right? Well, that wasn't the case. In Jewish history, I want to say the word. I've, I've just looked it up again because I keep forgetting the word. Um, Timlov, I think, is this Jewish idea of cleansing that looked a lot like a bunch of our different ways of baptism. Right? Sometimes they would immerse a person to spiritually cleanse them. Sometimes 
different people that they loved and respected would pour over them cleansing waters as they would sing and as they would recite um, Jewish scripture and as they would uh, give poetry to each other to cleanse them for what was ahead, right? So maybe as they were entering a different season of their life, as they were entering adulthood, or as they would, they would about to be married, this was, there was huge tradition apart from that with the men and women. Um, but then also, if you were just on, if you had something of spiritual significance that you had either um, seen or achieved or wanted, you would experience this cleansing, this ritual of cleansing. And it looked like baptism, baptizo. And so you would have this common theme and you would have this, this idea of spiritual significance. We're going to cleanse ourselves spiritually. And then John, though, changed it a little bit. As John is teaching, he adds what to this cleansing? Two things. One of them we said already, anticipation and waiting for the coming Messiah. And what else? I think you might have said it, actually, Karen. What else is a part of this baptism that John is giving of sin. Repentance. It's, it's as we can tell from writings we have, other than other Jewish sects and other, uh, other religions at the time kind of speaking a similar narrative, it's one of the first times we hear that this is accompanied with repentance. Sometimes this, this cleansing would be to ready you for something, Sometimes it would be to leave something behind, but as far as you in acting and having a, a role to play with the act of being baptized by someone or even baptizing yourself in ancient writings and other places they would do that, this was one of the first times it would be of repentance. It would be coupled with an act of change from you. Us saying, no, I want completely different. I want a different way John says, I'm teaching the baptism of the repentance of sins also with the anticipation Jesus is coming, right? So we have it growing in significance along the way as baptism's coming. Then Jesus comes, right? And he asks John to be baptized. And what does John say? Do we remember the story? What does John say when Jesus is like, I need you to baptize me? Right, you should be baptizing me. Which assumes what about baptism again? What does, that, what does that say about the act of baptism? Someone comes to John and says, please baptize me. And he says, oh no. No, 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 no. You baptize me. What does that say about the act of baptism even? Yes. It has some significance of the sacred attached to it with John. And with the culture at large that's in his head, whatever's built for him and this idea of washing, of, it's not the right word, I don't think, but Tim Love and baptism as it's becoming, what, what he sees is it's sacred enough that he knows that it, it needs to be done properly, I guess. Or it's holy enough. It's sacred enough, he shouldn't just, you know, baptize this very holy. What he sees as the Messiah, he doesn't think he gets to do that, right? So it adds weight. Again, it says something about baptism. And Jesus says, what does Jesus answer to that? Do we remember? No, for the scriptures will be fulfilled. 
You, it is you who must baptize me. And then Jesus is baptized. And do we know what the scriptures say when he's, when he's baptized? Can we tell the story? Do what you say? Right. And God speaks and says what? This is my son, whom I'm well pleased. And that word pleased, I think someone talked about it recently when they taught. That word pleased is only in two other places in the New Testament. God says it again when Jesus is transfigured. He says, this is my son with whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him, you know, because Peter's talking too much. (laughs) He's chatting about, we should build a temple here. This is awesome. God's like, I'm not going to make a face of what God was like. God says, God says, this is my son whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him. And then it's said one more time. Do we remember when it is? Do we know? Jesus says, do not be afraid, little flock, when he's talking to his disciples, for my father is pleased to give you the kingdom, which is beautiful. It's amazing. This powerful, weighty word that God uses to describe his feelings towards his son also get used to describe the feelings of giving us the kingdom of heaven that's at hand. Just, it's good. Mm, I like it very much. But with that, that happens during baptism. And we have in scripture, and, and here's where we're gonna, here's where we're gonna diverge into give each other grace time, okay? This is where the disclaimers could begin again, but we're not doing it. But we're gonna give each other grace time on this. Um, the reason I see baptism the way I do and the way I would even like in the nuts and bolts of how it is performed or how it is, not performed is a terrible word, how it is enacted or how it is enjoyed is because of the phrase when Jesus is baptized, as Jesus comes up out of the water is how it's said. And it literally does tie into this baptizo of him being put into water and as he comes up out of it, a voice from heaven, the dove comes down, everyone hears it and is impressed and surprised by this. And Jesus goes about his way and kind of starts this ministry. He goes into the desert right after. Remember? Do we know this? <clears throat> okay. So we have this. We have the story. We have Jesus encountering baptism. And here's where I think our story of what baptism is to us can matter very much. Um, and here's, here's why I say that. I think in our heads, uh, as many of us have, some of us were baptized as children, and I think that's absolutely beautiful. There are a bunch of brilliant thinkers that had wonderful reasons to baptize infants and baptize people, not even infants, but two-year-olds for a while. Or, yeah, I think they were two. And then for other people to be baptized at different ages, regardless of repentance, regardless of anticipation, but for the safety and for the beauty of a ceremony and sacrament even to the child. Not ordinance, like in some traditions, like mine, but sacrament. So we have these stories, but I think a lot of us that have come to, we maybe didn't grow up in church, or maybe we had some baptism experience that, was, that was, we were a part of a little bit, or maybe we weren't part of it all and it didn't mean anything to you. I think a lot of us, we have this experience of coming to faith older or coming into the way of Jesus and saying, you know what? No, I am a Jesus follower. That is who I am. That is what my life is going to be about. And we look at something like baptism and we say, 
why should I do that? Right? Or how important is that? Or really it's confusing. Why should I be a part of that? What's the significance of that? And we have a lot of questions on, and they usually center around, why should I do this? Right? Or is this important? We have someone outside of Jewish culture, outside of, grew up outside of this faith, grew up outside of this, this telling of John the Baptist and anticipation and in repentance and this beauty of Jesus coming out of the water and hearing, you are my son whom I'm well pleased. This beautiful thing. We have this something apart from that whole story. And, and his question, as he passes water, after hearing the gospels explained to him one time, is what should keep me from being baptized? And I think there is a huge significance to that. There is a huge significance and the difference there of, of us saying and our culture saying, why do I have to do that? Or they want to know, do I have to do that, right? People ask me all the time, do I have to get baptized? Is that going to like keep me from being a Christian, right? You have a lot. The answer to me is no. There's people that come to faith where there's no water. No, I don't, I don't think personally that that keeps you from faith. Some faith traditions say, yes, you must be baptized of some kind. You, thus, the, um, that's partly even how people started to pour and to sprinkle because there wasn't water in some places and the faith tradition was changing and people were going back to the original like cleansing idea and some of this, this pouring over by people that you love and all these things. And so you would have this difference. And, and so, no, I, I don't think personally... If someone is not baptized, no, I don't, I don't think that that means they are of less faith than someone who is. They have less Holy Spirit about them, you know, than someone else. I don't think that, personally, my own, again, I think this is from a lot of my faith tradition, I don't think at baptism we come out of the water, I don't think that is the action that gives us the Holy Spirit or puts us, ties us with Jesus. Just like, just like, and I know we've even talked about differences of this, how we see communion of taking bread and cup. Some say, no, that is Jesus. As you partake, it is Jesus' actual literal body and his blood. And I, my, my faith tradition, and I personally would say, no, I don't believe. I think it's a symbol and a beautiful one and a powerful one and an ordinance to say, no, we do this to remember. But I think we can talk about all those things and we can get into the nuts and bolts of baptism all we want. I think part of the troubling thing that I hear from from us even sometimes is should I do this or not? Or how should it be? Or why should I? And I think it centers some of us on do I have to? When this person, after hearing the story of Jesus once, says, why should I not? And I think that's a big difference. And I think it's a really big difference because, because, when we look at our lives and we think about truly living this kingdom of heaven that's at hand, truly sealing, sealing our life with Jesus, saying, I want the blessings of Jesus. I want the hardships of Jesus, the suffering of Jesus I need in my life, just like I need the hopes and and dreams of Jesus. I need those things. Jesus himself 
saw a need and an importance to be baptized. It, was, it, was, it meant something enough. It was beautiful enough. Or required enough. Or needed or requested by his father enough to where he was baptized by a person much more sinful, obviously, than himself as one who lives without sins and didn't need baptism for repentance. Didn't need baptism as the anticipation of what was coming. He was the coming. He was it. It doesn't, doesn't, the person coming, bringing the kingdom with his spoken voice and with his exhale doesn't need the baptism to get him ready for himself, right? He was ready. But the obedience there and the beauty there and the cleansing there meant something beautiful and profound to have Jesus do it and to have the heavens open and to have a dove of some kind come down and have God's voice from heaven say, this is my son whom I'm well pleased. It was special. (laughs) It was a big deal. And if if we say we want to be one with Jesus, why would we not also want this experience? Why wouldn't we want to be a part of this? Whether someone takes their fingers in water they have blessed and puts it on your forehead, or they take a pitcher and they're special to you and they're beautiful and they sing songs and chant traditional poetry as they pour it over your body, or someone says buried with Christ in baptism, raised to walk in newness of life and pulls you out of the water as you stand in a lake, why would we not want any of that? Like this eunuch, what would stop us from this? What, what in the world would be the reason our attitude is such that we say, why do I have to? Am I okay if I don't? Let's argue over how it should be performed so that we don't have to do it. So I don't necessarily feel comfortable with it and then am kind of free of it. Why wouldn't we just say, however is beautiful, however we can, why don't we just be as much like Jesus as possible and say, there's some water. What is keeping us from experiencing this beautiful either symbol or sacrament or ordinance? Why is our attitude such? And that's, that's what's concerning because, and here, here's why that's concerning. It's not just about baptism. It's about every part of this walk with Jesus. If we can have this attitude about baptism, and I don't think I'm being like slippery slope on this argument or anything, and I don't think I'm being, uh, uh, I, don't, I don't think so anyway. If we can say that about baptism, we can say, oh, well, we don't have to do that, right? It's confusing, so we don't have to do it. We can also say, oh, yeah, we don't have to give, sell everything we have and give it to the poor and follow Jesus because it's confusing and it's hard. And we also don't have to say, Jesus didn't really necessarily mean let the dead bury their own dead, live your life, live for the kingdom right now, don't say let's get our affairs together. We don't have to say that either. We can just be like, ah, well, that's not what he meant. It's not necessary to be a Christian. Is it necessary to be a Christian to sell all you have? Maybe it is. Maybe so. Right? 
to say no is incorrect because to one person it sure was, right? And so we can have this attitude and it's pervasive. It shows itself in baptism when we talk about it, but it is pervasive about our life. It is. To say we should love Jesus with more intensity and more passion than we love our children, that's hard. We can still be Christians and not love Jesus with as much passion and intensity as we love our wives and children. So we, you know, do we really have to to be a Christian? Do we have to? It's the same attitude. And it is about our life. And it's about our culture in Austin, Texas. It's about our culture in, I mean, being overly dramatic in Christendom and in the West. But it is. It is. Do we have to? Is this huge, terrible thing that has happened to us. And I'm not saying it will cure our ills and fix us, but why would something so original to this idea of the kingdom of heaven at hand, to this, to this idea of sanctification, to this idea of cleansing, to this idea of anticipation, of repentance, of newness, why wouldn't we say nothing is keeping us from being baptized? Nothing. Zero. It would be us keeping us from being baptized. Us making it too confusing. Or us making it not important. Or us making it odd and strange. Or us making it something that's just not high on the priority list. It's us. When truly, if we say, yes, we want part with Jesus, this body of Christ, we want to be the hands and feet of, the mouthpiece of, the eyes of in our city, why wouldn't we say, every part of Jesus, I want it. Even if I perform it wrongly, (laughs) as if there's probably a wrongly, right? However it might be given to me, I want that. And so, yes, baptizo away whatever it be. Do we have water to pour on my head? Let's pour it on my head. Please get my hands and feet as well. If there's a place to put me in and take me out so that I can be buried with Christ in baptism and raised, that's just what I say when I baptize people, so that's why I'm saying it over and over again. Raised to walk in newness of life, let that be how we do it. If we're going to have people come to us and say, would you baptize my child? We would say, me and Todd were actually just talking about this, we would say, why shouldn't we do that? Why shouldn't we do that? Regardless of your tradition, regardless of mine, why shouldn't we say, in any way, we can have this be a part of us? Upon our convictions, let's do so. And yes, I know that means some of us who grew up in a tradition where we say baptism is only real after repentance, and some of us grew up in traditions who say, No, it's only real when it is an absolute sacrament, when it is what saves the the whole self. Whatever that may be, why wouldn't we say we should have this? If we're going to walk with Jesus, if we are going to change ourself and our attitude by our practices, if we are going to change how we love the poor by our practices, we should start with these things, with these things Jesus actually did do and say. We should do them. And so here's what we're going to do. We're going to um, we're going to have communion together. We'll enjoy that. We'll do our liturgy of response. We'll have taught up singing. 
Um, here's just what I, I, I want us to do. And I'm not, I think one thing we were praying about earlier was that this wouldn't be a heavy-handed thing, that we wouldn't do a, no, today you have to say that you're going to, but yes, <laughs> I want you legitimately, if this stirs any, if this doesn't stir you and you're like, oh, since I have to be baptized, yeah, don't, don't, you know, let's pray about this and pray it through. But if you don't need to pray it through, because you're like, yes, why is my attitude such that I say, why should I be baptized? Why isn't it what should keep me from this? Maybe right now, today, we pray, God, please change my attitude about this. And not just about baptism, about all the things that God asks us to do, that Jesus says to his disciples to do, our way about them shouldn't be, does that mean me though? Do I have to do that? Why shouldn't it be, then let's all be about those things, Jesus says. Why isn't that our attitude? So first pray about that. And then let's, let's talk about right now today about being baptized incredibly soon. And then let's talk about how you assume that should be. I'll talk to you about how I feel like that should be. We'll get into better detail. You can talk to Todd about that if you would like Todd to baptize you. Todd would love to. He's, he would. <laughs> See? <laughs> What's keeping you from being baptized, Todd's voice just said. What's keeping you from this, right? But, but seriously. And again, I'm not trying to make this be manipulative in any way or whatever, but I'm, I'm serious. Now is the time to say, yes, let's do that. We're about to enter Lent also. A beautiful time to say, yes, I want to experience some of these things from Jesus. The anticipation, I mean, that's beautiful in itself right there, that narrative that John the Baptist would offer. But I want you to talk to me while we're having communion. Okay, Todd's going to be singing. Probably don't talk to him during communion unless you really want to. That's fine. He'll stop. That's totally okay, actually. If you want to just talk to it won't be. Incorrect. You should just grab him. It will not be awkward to any of us. You want to talk to Brian, Holly, Lily, May, anyone. Talk to whoever you trust to talk about this. Karen, Mark, just talk to someone about this now, now, okay? As we're singing, let that be how we worship, if you would like to. If not, shoot me an email. That's totally fine. We'll do it that way. I'm just fine. That really is fine. But I'm saying we shouldn't let this be something to where if your heart and head are like, yes, obviously I should do this. What am I, what am I, yes. Then it shouldn't be something you remember you had a feeling about two months from now. Does that make sense? That's all I'm saying. Okay, let's pray together. God, we, we know baptism is more beautiful than we think. We know it is. And forgive to where, honestly, forgive where I may sound like it's not a big deal, or it's funny, or it's haphazard. It is absolutely not as we read about your son, the, the holy Messiah, this one that brought the kingdom of heaven, the one that changed the world, comes and is baptized and the sky opens and your voice is heard by a crowd of people that you are pleased with your son. It is more than we think it is. Please give us attitudes and hearts like this eunuch that said, what is stopping me? 
from being one with Jesus in this way? What is stopping me from saying, yes, I'm of repentance. I am anticipating the kingdom of heaven at hand. What is stopping me from being baptized right this minute? Let us think that about the way we love our wives and about the way we tell stories of Jesus to our children. Let us have that same attitude with the way we spend our money and the way we love the poor and the way we do care for orphans and widows, the way we do open our own homes to the wonder. This attitude of, do I have to do that has crushed us and has crushed the church. It has made us look so toothless. It has made us look like hypocrites. And it has made us look like we can pick and choose what we follow and what we decide to do, that Jesus said to do. So please forgive us. Please help us be people that say, I want all of it. Yes, I want to be wise about how I implement things, how I change, how I do this, but I want all of it. So please forgive us and please change us. In Jesus' name, amen.